Welcome to another episode of Unlocking California Politics. I am Sanjay Wagley with CAR's Governmental Affairs. Today we are here with some of California's top political experts to discuss the impact of the most recent election and the year ahead. I'll start by welcoming back our guests who have been on the show, and we are thrilled to have you back again. First, we have with us Josh Walters, who has served in many different capacities in the state legislature for Democratic leadership and has been at the helm of many successful campaigns. Glad you could join us. Oh, thanks for having me back. And welcome back, Rob Stutzman, who is a seasoned strategist and political expert, including ser- serving as the Deputy Chief of Staff for Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Thank you both for being here today. First, let's talk about this past election. Um, and I'll start with Rob. What do you think the trends are from this last election and how will it play out in the legislature? Well, the trends we saw nationally, which was overperformance of expectations by by Democrats, uh, didn't really happen in, in California. Uh, it didn't happen in other large blue states either, like like New York. Uh, whether it creates a trend in the legislature or not uh, is, is debatable, given the the magnitude of the supermajorities. But I think there's a real question as to whether there is a little bit of fatigue in the state of single party rule. That doesn't. Don't mistake that for some type of Republican comeback, but that Democrats are going to have to be careful and more mindful uh, of how they govern or they're going to overstay their welcome or some will uh, at some point. Even the governor underperformed uh, than what he did four years ago, and he was outperformed up and down the state in general by down ticket Democrats. So there's a little bit given how good a year it was for Democrats nationally, a little bit of a warning don't get too complacent, I think, to Democrats in California. Interesting. No, I, I think it's very true that in California, when we see waves, whether it's a blue wave or a red wave across the country, you know, rarely do they translate into California politics. It's just a different environment here, particularly in the state legislative races. So I think that's ex- exactly correct. Sometimes on the congressional races, it'll be a little bit different. Um, but but again, I mean, I think we saw what would kind of be a typical election year here in California. I mean, certainly uh, with turnout wise, it was just kind of an average midterm election is how I would characterize it. It's not true in every district. You know, the districts obviously vary in their turnout amongst them, but it was just kind of an average, average year here. Um, and again, in the in the legislature, we've had this very progressive movement over the last you know mm-hmm. decade plus where, um, you know, the progressives keep getting more and more wind in their sails. And I think, you know, we're starting to see, I think maybe that falter a little bit and we'll see how it plays out. We had some successes getting some moderates elected here, too. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. So. Okay. Let me follow up. What are some of the uh, surprises from this election? Or well, what did you find surprising? One of the things was how close we had some elections here, uh, state legislative elections. Right? I mean, Mr. Cooley, an incumbent um, assembly member, lost by, you know, just under 400 votes. Um, you know, we had a race down in the desert where a Republican won by 85 votes. And in the Central Valley, a Democratic incumbent right. state senator won by only 13 votes. So when the campaigns and folks like Rob and I are out there telling you, please vote, your vote matters. I mean, we can assure you. I mean, the races this year tell you I haven't seen anything in a state legislative race as close as 13. So that was really shocking to me. In so. the largest legislative districts in the country are right. our state Senate seats. I mean, it, it's really extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's one, uh, whenever I go out and do outreaches or anything, I always mention. So t- for the friends of yours who say it doesn't matter if I vote, 13 votes. It matters. <laughs> you yeah. know, 13 people had come out. You could have changed the election. Um, what do you say are some of the surprises from this year? Yeah, I mean, I the same. I don't know if there's any real surprises. I think a lot of things went according to how you'd expect them. So um, just a 
question about one of the initiatives. Just to be clear, the California Association of Realtors takes no position whatsoever <laughs> on abortion issues or choice issues. Just to be clear, um, do you think that initiative uh, being on the ballot had any effect on the election? I think they tried to make it have an effect, but at the end of the day, I don't I don't think it really did. I just okay. don't think it was, an, you know, I don't think it really drove turnout in any way that they thought it would. I mean, they call them surge voters on the Democratic side. So, I mean, I know the campaign went out, tried to identify pockets of voters that, you know, would maybe not otherwise vote. But if we can make this an issue, they would surge to the polls. And then, you know, they targeted congressional districts uh, where they thought, you know, Democrats may be underwater and they went out and ran those programs there um, and you know, were largely unsuccessful. So. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. There's very little evidence it had okay. much, much of an impact. I, I think part of the pro, part of the issue is it was a solution in search of a, a problem. I don't think voters in California think there's any imminent threat right. to access to abortion, as opposed to, you know, Kansas, where the question was literally on the ballot at one point last year, and they mm-hmm. had massive turnout. So, you know, you have to have, I think, a real threat for people to react to it. Okay, thank you. Um, so when the last time we had both of you on the show, there was a discussion about the great resignation. So many members of the legislature retiring. Um, I think we have 35 newly elected legislators out of the 120 in the state legislature. Um, first of all, kind of what do you see as some of the effects of that and who might be some of the rising stars? And I'll start with you, Rob. Well, I mean, the effect is yet to be seen. It's funny. We, you know, you elect these new legislators and you meet them and you watch their campaigns until they start voting. You don't necessarily really know (laughs) what their careers are going to be like. And they may not even know. Uh, They're going to now consider issues they probably haven't even thought about before before they got here. So I think the impact remains to be seen. It definitely is a refresh of where power lies. And we'll probably get to this issue, but it's also going to probably mean there's a new speaker this year. Mm -hmm. There'll be that type of turnover. And there's just this realignment of where the power centers are going to be in the legislature. Um, who to keep an eye on? Uh, you know, again, it's maybe a little little early to tell. I, I, I've been impressed so far, and I've watched his career for a while with a freshman assemblyman, Josh Lowenthal, mm. in the Long Beach area. He, he has local elected experience. He has business experience. And he's watched his father serve in the legislature right. and the United States Congress. And I think someone like that will be interesting to watch and could be one of the more thoughtful new members. Interesting. Josh? Um, I'm really excited, and I know some of the folks I work with are about Dr. Jasmine Baines, so from the yeah. Bakersfield area. Okay. So um, she's a physician, so she has a background, you know, as a medical doctor. Um, she lives in an area that's medically underserved, has all kinds of environmental challenges. At the same time, she comes from a family um, that operate new car dealerships. Mm-hmm. She's worked in the business, so understands how to run a business, making payroll, all that type of stuff. So it's a really interesting mix of of, you know, experiences that we don't often get in the legislature. Um, and frankly, we haven't had somebody that understands and has a positive relationship with agriculture on the Democratic right. side there for a long time. Um, and she certainly is that as well. So we're excited to have her there and I'm excited to see how she does. I think it's always good to have a physician, you know, that can put on the medical hat and walk around the caucus and, and make arguments about scientifically based things, right? And so, and it's a little bit hard to argue back. So, so we're excited to have somebody with those credentials um, just because, you know, if you have science on your side, we think that, you know, you can make some pretty good arguments. So, Thanks, Josh. Um, progressive, more progressive, more moderate, hard to tell at this point, the overall legislature based on the election. 
I'm in the firmly hard to tell. I mean, we really don't know. Folks tell us, you know, they come interview with with groups such as the realtors and others that we work with. You know, they they know what we want to hear. And some folks tell us what we want to hear and others are more straightforward and tell us what they really think. So and, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, people get into a dynamic where they they have their colleagues, they're asking them to vote mm-hmm. on their bill. And, you know, I really need your vote and all that. I mean, interpersonal stuff really plays into it. So it's how can people, you know, are they going to be with their district? Are they going to be with their colleagues? How are they going to make those decisions? So it's always fun to watch how that develops. And oftentimes it'll change over time as well. So, yeah. Rob? Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's what I mentioned a moment. Until <laughs> they start voting, it's a little difficult right. uh, to tell. I, I, you know, we, there is evidence that the legislature has done things that are more progressive than the, the voters. There were mm-hmm. referendums a couple right. years ago where voters overrode the legislature. And I think that has not gone without notice amongst legislators. Um, Rob, what do you think are going to be some of the big areas of focus this year? Well, I mean, look, energy uh, is going to be a big focus. The governor is, and again, more disclosure, I'm working with the petroleum petroleum industry on this issue that he has proposed, which is put a windfall profits tax on on oil companies. Um, But it also is inciting a, a whole interesting discussion about, well, why does California have a supply problem with gasoline? A lot of reasons for that. And we're also the only state in the nation that has said we're not going to sell new combustion engine cars mm-hmm. in 2035. Well, that probably means people aren't going to invest in making gas here up right. into that cliff. So energy is going to be not just what the governor's proposed, but I think energy in general mm-hmm. will continue to be a big top, topic. Um, even on the electricity side, there's actually right. been you know, a bit of backtracking that's had to go on from what the state's goals were in order to keep the lights on. The governor, I think, has led very well when it comes when it comes to that, but you'll continue to see, uh, see housing, I think be an mm-hmm. issue. It's, it continues to be something that frustrates the legislature. The things that they have done are having very little impact, right. right. On the market. So the question is, are you going to finally get around to tackling some of the larger issues that certainly your members w- would agree are going to be required to be tackled in order to make progress on housing supply. All right, Josh. I mean, I think if you ask the voters what the top issue is right now, they would say homelessness, right? I mean, homelessness tops, you know, all the polls. But at the same time, you know, I don't think the legislature is going to come out and have any bold, you know, initiatives to try and tackle this because they largely, you know, don't want to talk about it. And I think, you know, we're in an environment as well where, you know, potentially, you know, we have these huge budget surpluses and now we're talking about a little bit of contraction. So this is a legislature. I mean, obviously we have new people, but the people that have been here have never really dealt with a downturn. So they've just had very flush budgets and it's how do we, you know, get this cash out and spend it every year as quickly as we can. And so they're going to have to face a new reality of, you know, that's not what it's going to look like here in California. Right. And that was going to be my follow-up question in terms of what you thought the the budget situation was going to be. So (laughs) <laughs> it's going to affect things, right? Well, and I think we see it, it's definitely going to impact things. Yeah. And, you know, the way yeah. we do our have our tax structure here, um, you know, with, with really focusing on capital gains. And we're seeing a huge contraction right. in the tech industry. And it conti- and that's just going to continue to cascade because as some companies cut, then, you know, other technology companies that sell technology to those companies continue to cut because there's less people to sell software to. So I think we're going to be especially susceptible to that as the tech industry you know, right sizes, how many employees they have there. Right. Um, Cause they had a huge increase over, you know, after the COVID I know. and then now they're sitting there and they have to actually have profits. So they're figuring out how they're going to deal with that. So that's going to really impact our tax base here in California. Yeah, that's true. Cause it was actually record setting job growth in the tech industry over the last like decade. Rob, do you, what do you think with the, the deficit? Uh, Look, the, it, sorry, not it, deficit, the budget situation. I mean, the, and the problem is it's been well-documented is, is California's revenue system is so volatile. So there's states with surpluses. 
in other parts of the country, we know we have at least a projected deficit of a certain amount that probably is manageable. Um, But the real budget dance starts in May and we'll get a better sense of where revenues are headed. And the problem is, is even in a budget year, once a budget's been, been put in place, revenues could fall way off. We're so dependent on particularly Silicon Valley mm-hmm. um, making money, not existing, but making money, having to right. do IPOs and cash that, those stocks. And of course, the battering that's happened in the market has had a disproportionate impact on, on tech and some would say right-sizing all of that. So where do you go for more revenue if we get in the huge deficits? Isn't really all that clear. The Progressive right. Caucus has already suggested, well, we can tax billionaires some more. The governor opposed a tax on billionaires at the ballot in Prop 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons is, is he wants that headroom in case he needs it to hear down the road right. the next year or two. But you, can, you can't get that much more money out of, because even people that are rich won't be making money um, if we have a true recession. So, you know, th- there's potential, if there's recessionary times, there's potential, you know, very severe cliffs uh, that lie ahead. And, you know, it'll, it'll be devastating to these legislators, particularly Democrats, don't run for office to get elected to cut budgets. Right. Um, but that will become essential. Maybe not so much this year, but if the economy doesn't bounce back by next year, it could get really uncomfortable for them. Okay. Well, and then you're going to have pressure from the current legislature to dip into rainy day funds. Right. So and start to pull those money out of reserve. But I mean, to Rob's point, you know, we don't really need them yet. You know, we need, need to. Right. We need to have year. a right size budget this year and and save that for you know what next year looks like, because we yep. really don't know. As you mentioned, one of the issues that really preoccupies California is homelessness. Um, The new mayor of Los Angeles has made it her priority emergency declaration and seems to be focusing on that issue. Do you see, I think you both mentioned you don't anticipate the state legislature doing much, but given that it seems, I think it's usually the number one or two, maybe that now the economy will will move up um, issue. Do you think there is anything that that we're going to likely see on the state front, or is it going to stay maybe local with what, say, uh, local legislators do? Um, I'll start with Rob. Well, I, no, I don't have any confidence in anything Mayor Bass or the legislature and the governor will do on this issue until they leave a housing first type policy and go to a shelter first type policy. Um, to continually believe that this is merely a housing problem doesn't address you know, the holistically what the crisis is. Um, obviously, we have open drug markets that exist. Um, we have a mental health crisis that exists. Um, and the governor's proposed, proposed something in that, well, has mm-hmm. implemented something in that arena. It's now being implemented with the, these care courts. Right. But it's not really clear at all that there's a, a, there's a system that stands behind that of care in order to provide treatment. And make people well. So, you know, as long as the politicians keep talking about housing, which is you cannot affordably provide the housing to solve this crisis and then not address the other underlying issues, uh, which is drug availability and the mental health crisis in general. I don't know that we we see much progress on this. We're in the place now in the state where we're pushing it around from community to community. Mm -hmm. San Francisco's population has gone down. Sacramento's has increased. More homeless in Sacramento than there is in San Francisco uh, by the counts that they do. But fundamental change, will I think, will take a role. Fundamental policy change. Josh? I agree with Rob completely. I, I just don't think the legislature has the appetite to fix it, and I don't think the administration can. I think what's going to happen is somebody's going to have to figure out a proposal, take it directly to the voters in the form of a ballot initiative. And I'll tell you, if you look at the polls now, they will vote for almost anything. So 
the danger that you know the elected officials have run is something could go to the voters and pass that isn't very right. good. So, I right. mean, I right. think it's incumbent on everybody. I mean, even if they say, hey, we're not going to pass it, but we'd like to see something that makes sense. And this is a structure or lead a conversation to where we could get something and take it and pass it. I mean, the business community, I mean, imagine the retailers. I mean, they right. just deal with this every day. So I think there's resources from the business community and others to help, you know, move forward and pass a policy. And I think it's going to end up to be a self-help type thing. It's just how do we get it right and, and make sure that we have something that it, that it is fair and, and humane, right? But mm -hmm. solves the problem, you know, and, and respects, you know, both sides. I mean, the advocates on the other side of that have a very loud voice here in Sacramento and the legislators listen to them. And it's yeah. completely out of step with where the voters are. I mean, the voters will do not care what those advocates have to say. I mean, they want a humane solution, but they right. want a solution. So. Um, so there's, in addition to all the new freshman members, there is going to be a big likely <laughs> transition in the state assembly but <laughs> speakers uh rendon uh prepares to step down and assembly member revis uh takes over what do you expect to see we'll start josh well one of the interesting things about speaker rendon's tenure is he ran on decentralization of power right so his his theory was you know i'm going to empower the the committee chairs i'm going to empower my my members and let them make decisions and so you know elected officials like that because nobody's really telling them what to do and it served him well and that he's had a long tenure mm -hmm. i mean you can question whether the policies that have come through are good or not um so i one of the big questions that remains to me is what is the next administration going to look like i mean if it is mr revis and it looks like it will be right. you know what type of administration is he going to put forward is he going to continue to have a decentralized model or is he going to go back to a more leadership model where you know these are things that need to be done and kind of pushes it down from above so i think that's something that remains to be seen and i think will definitely be interesting rob well, I, I agree with everything Josh said. And then I would add, you know, this is a, maybe a bit of the intrigue of the insiders of Sacramento, but it remains to be seen if this will actually be a peaceful transfer mm -hmm. of power. There's already there rumblings a week ago of Assemblyman Arambula from right. Fresno making a run on this, which would displace the, the heir apparency of the deal that's been done to give it to Assemblyman Rivas. I, I don't know. It's not clear to me that Speaker Rendon wouldn't take the opportunity to muck the deal if he could. Um, so, I mean, I think there's some real fractured relationships amongst the, the Democrats in the legislature uh, that we're not going to get past until we get a new speaker in there. Okay. And, and this is the last term for Mr. Rendon. That's why there's been a move on the speakership. So it, it'll be interesting because this could have, this could affect governance. This right. could affect how things go this year, particularly this year. Uh, in the legislature, uh, so those of we haven't seen anything like this in quite a while. So for the you know the insider nerds, we kind of watch with our bag of popcorn and at times. Um, uh, but I think there's real tension there. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, in the 2024 elections are just around the corner. So if the Assembly Democrats are in disarray, I mean, if you're trying to raise money for the caucus, you know they want the donors want to give the money to who's going to be the speaker. So right. Mr. Rendon is not going to be the speaker. We just know that because of term limits and they don't want to you know, give funds to the person that's not necessarily right. going to be the speaker. So some Democrats probably need to figure this out sooner than later in order to support their fundraising efforts. If it is Speaker Revis and let's say he did take a less decentralized approach, how what does that look like in your, in your view, uh, Josh? I mean, if, you, if any predictions. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, the, this I mean, it would be a huge shift for the people that have been here a long time. They're certainly not used to that for the freshman class. Um, you know, it's not that big of a deal because they right. don't really know what they're used to. So 
um, they may not know. So, so I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't think we really know if we'll go back to more of a centralized model or not. Um, I, I, you know, he'll be the first uh, rural speaker. Right. Um, and I mean, you can argue maybe Cruz Bustamante was, uh, although, you know, Fresno is not nothing. Um, so I, that'll be interesting. And I, I do think there'll be, there's got to be some consequence that's beneficial, I think, to, to the more rural parts of the state uh, from a macro perspective. But beyond that, I agree with Josh. We have to see what he would do. I mean, it's important, I think, to point out these these alliances that exist between you know, having kept Rendon and then or move on to Rivas, they they defy ideological definition. So, right. you know, these types of issues amongst the caucus, it's very similar to what we just saw play out amongst the Republicans mm-hmm. in the House of Representatives. A lot of this is just personal stuff. And it's really not about uh, an ideological direction. So from a policy output perspective, I, I mean, I don't know people would see a huge difference. Um, there might be some differences in the margins, but right. it's still a Democrat-dominated domin- legislature with a progressive bent, no matter who the speaker is. That's true. Um, so for our members who are confronted with the, whole, with the large number of new representatives, what's a good way for them to sort of establish relationships and build a connection with those new legislators? And I'll start with you, Josh. I, I always think building a relationship in the district office and with the district staff is is gold. I mean, that's to me, that's the most efficient place to to start to build a new relationship. As far as Sacramento, I mean, CAR members have a great team here in Sacramento. I mean, the, you know, the legislators mm-hmm. interact with them all the time. You know, and certainly you want to bring your members up and have interactions here as well. But really, the district office is is really really important. So when you call the district staff and talk to them about an issue that's really important, it just resonates in a different way. So the elected officials used to hearing things in their capital office about so-and-so's in support and so-and-so's opposed. But when somebody in your community calls and the district staff saying, hey, we're getting a bunch of calls on this, boss, this is really important. You know, you really want to take a look at that. So I think mm-hmm. starting to build that relationship and then staying on top of it as you go over time will really yield dividends. Oh, great. Rob? I agree with all that. Hey, you know, if you really want the relationship, um, have the members see you here and see you there. Have them see you in Sacramento and see you in the district. Because uh, that that's that'd be rare, uh, and it also means that that member is aware that you're you're connected to the community, to their district, but you're also watching and aware of what they're doing in Sacramento mm-hmm. when they're away from the district. And so, you know, put in the extra, put in the work, come here for the ledge days, then also make sure you're making those connections, as Josh suggested at the district level. Governor Newsom will be uh, <laughs> leaving office not too far in the near future. Um, any? Thoughts about it. people observed his inauguration and thought that was a very nice inauguration and um, any speculations or thoughts about what his next steps are? There's always rumors about presidency or, or running for president or running for this, uh, of the Senate. Any thoughts or insights there, Josh? I don't have any sense that he's got a target on the U.S. Senate seat. I mean, I think I mean, I think yeah. I think we all think that he would, you know, eye the presidency favorably, but every day that goes on, it seems more and more that Mr. Biden is acting as though he's right. going to run again, which itself is a little perplexing to some, but um, that kind of shuts that avenue down for now. But, you know, the governor's, he's relatively young and has a long career ahead of him. So right. I don't think that that should be um, anything that slows him down there. So, Rob, but, uh, you know, he needs somewhere to go. Um, I agree. There's no sign he's interested in the U.S. Senate, which he would be a, a front runner for. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and again, it's we anticipate the Feinstein seat being right. vacant in, in in two years. But that's a whole different fundraising animal uh, to raise federal election dollars. So he kind of mm-hmm. would have to get after it because the right. field's out running. Yeah. So I agree. It looks like he's not going to do that. Um, does he want to run for president? Well, he can't if Biden's there. But even if Biden doesn't run, he certainly seems intent. And you alluded to his inauguration to wanting to be national political mm-hmm. frame to be all right. he talks about. I mean, he was inaugurated for his second term with a lot of things to do here in California. And he basically spent it contrasting and to red states and attacking red states. Um, it which point out popular governors and right. popular red states for a lot of Americans. Does to me, it's a little perplexing. He acts like he's running for president. Yeah, it's not clear uh, that that's going to be there. There's not going to be an availability on the ticket. Obviously, his his friend and the favorite daughter of California, right. Kamala Harris, is already there, as she would be in the field should Biden right. not run. So, and then I don't know where he goes next. He's really out of out of options unless he takes a bit of a Jerry Brown route and decides to go back to a city, but it would be a different city than the one mm-hmm. he already was mayor of. So his his ne- his path is isn't obvious. Obviously, if Biden is elected to a second term, okay, sure, a cabinet position, you know, but those have a like a two three year clock on them at the most. Right. So this is kind of the end of the road for him, I think. Um, unless he does make that move to the Senate. It'll be very hard, I think, to run for president in 28 without being a sitting governor, which he will not be at that point. Right. Okay. So in addition to changes in the state legislature, we've had changes on the federal level, as you mentioned, not as dramatic as people I think were expecting. Um, We do, however, have Speaker of the House, for now, (laughs) from California. Uh, Do you think that would have will have any positive effects for our state. I'll start with you, Rob. Well, sure, it will. I mean, the speaker's gavel moves from the Marina District of San Francisco to to uh, Bakersfield, uh, but it's still in California. Uh, you know, the LA Times had a great profile um, this past week on the relationship between Mayor Bass and Speaker McCarthy, which goes back hmm. to their time together in the state legislature. And, you know, what substantively comes out of that, who knows? But the point is, is that, sure, there's still going to be a benefit for the state of California, even Democrats that run big cities, by having um, access and relationship with a California speaker. And I think it's worth pointing out, I think one of the reasons McCarthy really had trouble getting that gavel in the small majority that he has well, I think one of the reasons is he is from California. Right. The, nationally, the the Republican Party is is very much a Southern aligned um, party, and McCarthy doesn't quite fit that. Um, so yeah, California is better off with a Californian there than someone from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> Josh. Oh, I I totally agree, and I'm a little bit optimistic too. Is you know in the Central Valley, you know there were some races that were very close. You know, the Republicans held them, but obviously getting more resources into the Central Valley would be good. And it's, you know, an area right. that needs a lot of help and is yeah. underserved. So I'm optimistic that, you know, that'll help that com- those communities there as well. So, Do you think his presence could have any benefits for building more of a Republican Party in the state or kind of separate from that, Josh? Um, as I sit here today, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the problems with building the Republican Party in the state are kind of transcend you know the speaker or where they are i think there's some other fundamental issues that need to be addressed here and to rebuild so yeah i I, I agree with josh what mccarthy has done he he's been the most important republican for the last decade Mm -hmm. to the party 
and I, by the party, I mean literally the party, the apparatus, the infrastructure, um, without having a statewide officer, without having any right. you know, strong Republican gubernatorial candidate since 2010 when Meg Whitman ran, you know, the, the party doesn't even have, wouldn't have any money if I don't think, if not for I think the leadership of McCarthy has given it and the care that he gives it. So McCarthy is important to the party. I don't know how much more it becomes enhanced now that he's speaker. And yeah, if you're going to win elections, Josh is right. There's other fundamental problems, but he, he is value added, added to the, to the Republican party here for sure. You mentioned a lot of the uh, Republican congressional seats that were held or were won were actually relatively uh, low, tight margins mm-hmm. in many cases. Um, and it was also a relatively low turnout election overall. Do you think it's going to remain challenging for those Republican congressional candidates to keep holding their seats in California? Um, or perhaps with the speaker, is there maybe they could help throw things to California that might make it easier? What are your thoughts for, for them to be able to hold on? Um, I'll start with you, Rob. Well, so, you know, traditionally, um, people like Josh and I would look at those types of seats and say, well, yeah, in a presidential year, when you get more substantial turnout, there's an advantage, net advantage for for Democrats. But that really wasn't true in 20. Uh, Republicans picked up House seats in in 20. That's right. So I I don't (laughs) I don't necessarily want to apply our, you know, our historical paradigms to what may be, be coming next. Um, Republicans are in the majority. It's going to help with fundraising for those seats because every one of those seats really matters because the margin is, is is so close. I think, you know, candidates matter. We hear that. Um, I think, you know, Democrats and Adam Gray have a very good candidate, say, in that, that mm-hmm. North San Joaquin Valley seat. That was a very narrow race. Sure. Yeah, I would, I would assume they want Gray to run again against Congressman Duarte. Um, then you got David Valadeo in the South, who just right. seems to be very resilient. Um uh, and then you got the Orange Orange County seats. Uh, it looks like the Democrats may have a new candidate against Michelle Steele. I don't know. I, those are just very good Republican uh, candidates. And um, sure, it's entirely plausible that a couple of them could mm-hmm. get could get knocked off. But there's still places where Democrats could be on defensive next year, uh, especially in Katie Porter's seat, which will now be an open seat in the right. heart, heart of Orange County. Yeah, Josh. No, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, one of the interesting things is particularly in the Central Valley is, you know, Republicans will not usually vote for a Democrat if they have the choice to vote for Republican. But Democrats will often vote for Republicans in the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. David Valadeo is a great example of that. He's still there. I mean, right. if you look at the numbers, he you know, it should be a Democratic seat. Um, and he's resilient and has continued to win and win elections there, even, you know, when the numbers say he shouldn't. So it does come down to the candidate, comes down to the people. And you know, the valley is just kind of a different place. And so I, I think that's one where Republicans have a strong sense of uh, a chance to hold on there. And the national atmospherics, yeah. right. you know, who's going to, who do people want to have control of the house? Republicans right. get, need to prove that they're worthy of keeping it, or they may decide to fire the, the Republicans in the house because they haven't liked what they've focused on. All that has to play out over the next several months. Right. You know, or if it looks like Democrats may hold the White House, it may be important to have a Republican House yep. to temper mm-hmm. that as well to make sure that the Democrats are held in very, check. So very true. all those atmospherics. Yeah. Plan, I agree. OK, um, so in the I think last time we talked about, um, you know, the, basically one party state, California for the foreseeable future. Yes, <laughs> is I guess oh, any yeah. anything you think would would make it a more competitive state um, in terms of being not so one-sided? 
anything that could. Well, change. I don't see. I mean, I don't see Republican. Yeah. In fact, my Democrat consultant friends seem to be more optimistic than me that that there could actually be a Republican <laughs> that could break through statewide. I, I just don't see the numbers there. I mean, okay. uh, I'm still fascinated with the idea. If you can get to a general election and independent, I'm I'm growing a little more frustrated with our top two because it forces these two choices upon a state that's much more diverse in its electorate than just having two options. Um, so now we're talking about reforms that aren't likely to happen, but I almost think it would take something like that to where y- y- sure you may end up with a governor or a U.S. Senator doesn't have a majority, but the true plurality of what most Californians think, which I do think is something more in the middle together, mm-hmm. uh, may finally have options because the system we have now really doesn't give us those options in November runoffs. Interesting. Josh. I think that's particularly true at the statewide level. Yeah. I will say in the legislative districts, um, you know, we're getting better and better at finding and electing moderate Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every cycle that goes on, I think we get a little bit better at that. One of the strengths that we were able to do this cycle is instead of having a Republican get into a race where we knew the moderate would get out, the Republicans, you know, would essentially keep a candidate from out so that the moderate Democrat can make it through to the runoff. And then mm-hmm. we were able to get them elected and win. Um, so that's a formula where, you know, we've had to team up with the Republicans and ex- make our cases, you know, why we don't want a Republican to run. Because right. otherwise, you know, we're going to end up with a progressive Democrat. So and those are hard decisions to make and it's hard to explain and it's nuanced, but we're getting better at it. And there's trust between us. And I think as we continue to roll those types of programs, we'll continue to be successful. That's an interesting one of the questions. In theory, what was supposed to happen is you know, in these Dem versus Dem races that you would get Republicans maybe voting for the more moderate candidate. Are we seeing that? Does that happen? Mm-hmm. Yes. It does. It takes an effort. It takes a real campaign. It takes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, you can, you, that, that can work. Okay. And what we really have, what we haven't seen is it really play out at the statewide level. I mean, we had a, in the U.S. Senate race when Sanchez ran against Kamala Harris, you mm-hmm. had the opportunity, but there was never any money and any enthusiasm around Sanchez. No one wanted to invest in her. We almost had it if Villaraigosa had run against Newsom mm-hmm. a little over four years ago. Right. Um, that would have been interesting. And then Republicans would have decided the race between the two Democrats. You may get to that scenario in the U.S. Senate race that's coming up. Um, oh, interesting. Which right. we, can, we can talk about. But we just haven't, and it's particularly in a governor's race. And then what we see is you're able to manipulate the field. So you saw, for instance, um, Newsom this year made sure he elevated Dolly by attacking him early, right. make sure he was the Republican that won. Bonta attacked MAGA uh, Republicans to make sure that the independent Amory Schubert didn't get into the runoff, right. which would have maybe possibly been competitive against him in, in November. So the, the ability to game the system uh, is there. I don't there's no you can't prohibit that. Right. Um, but it, it makes it just it. It's it's a bit of the incumbent or the dominant party is able to secure their racket through some of these rules as well. Josh, no, I think it's a tough nut to crack. Is how do we you know implement the strategy on a statewide basis and just you know the cost is just orders of magnitude different. Yeah. I mean, doing something in mean, state senate races. I mean, we spend millions and millions of right. dollars, right? Organizations such as the Realtors and others, we come in, we develop a strategy, and we help get the business friendly, you know, Democrat elected. But translating that to a statewide level, it just requires so much money, and it's a bigger gamble. And trying to get folks to invest those types of resources there is challenging. Okay, thank you both. This was uh, really enlightening. I think a lot of our uh, Realtors will be. Uh, this is very insightful to understand California's political situation. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, back. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Absolutely. 
Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors, officers, or employees. Reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by CAR. This podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.